Hey fam, before we get to the show, we wanted to let you know that another Obsessed Network podcast, a podcast called Murder in Alliance, has just returned from its mid-season break. If you like documentary-style investigative podcasts like Serial, you're going to love Murder in Alliance. So go binge the first 15 episodes wherever you get your podcasts and then get ready for the final six episodes starting this week. You will not believe where this podcast ends up. Truly, I have never heard anything like it. Okay, here's a preview. Hey, y'all, I'm Maggie Freeling, host of the Obsessed Network podcast, Murder in Alliance. On the show, we've been reinvestigating the 1999 murder out of Alliance, Ohio of Yvonne Lane. And now we're back with the final six episodes of the season. And I really don't want to say anything. Why's that? Because I'm tired of being dragged in the middle of it. Yeah. You're not in the middle okay. of it. Oh, I have been for the last 22 years. How did you even find me here? She wanted to know if I knew how much it cost to bump somebody off. I ended the conversation by telling her that no, I didn't, because I was never interested in having that done to anyone I knew. Did she say that like she knew or she was asking? She was not asking. It sounded as though she already had the answer. I enlisted the help of Jason Baldwin from the West Memphis Three and his organization, Proclaim Justice. Myself and two of their PIs have been on the ground in Ohio, tracking down old witnesses. Morning, how are you? It's early. We were looking for Rose Moore. Does she live here? Following up on new information. It's not that you're not nice. You guys have got to understand what's at risk for me here. If these people find that I'm talking shit, I'm done. And uncovering never before heard audio. I'm curious. Why is she know so many cops? You never asked about that or wondered about it? Why? This case is one of the most scandalous we've ever looked into, and you will be, like we are, consumed. This case is filled with sex, secrets, and surprises. The final six episodes of Murder in Alliance are now underway. Find Murder in Alliance wherever you listen to podcasts. Fresh off tour and look at the face that I'm greeted with to this afternoon. Yeah, I wasn't thrilled about doing this with you today either, so. Oh, really? Say more. <laughs> Nothing. I, I miss you already. I wish we could be in another small room backstage at a theater in a city we've never been to before. Shut up. <laughs> hi, Ellen Marsh. Oh, hi. Patricia. Oh my God, you guys, we just got back from tour. I don't know what to say. I had a really good time. What about you, girl? I had a freaking blast. Every five minutes, Patrick said to me, are you having fun? Are you having fun on tour? Are you having fun on tour with me? Do we have fun on tour? We're fun, right? But the only time I could get a word in edgewise was between Ellen saying, are you full? Everyone have enough food? Anybody hungry? Everybody eating? We were at the airport and she was asking attendants at the airport if she could get them like a bagel. You're real concerned to make sure that everyone's nice and full. Full up. (laughs) I like to make sure people are fed. (laughs) It's the Italian in me. You guys, we're going to do a whole post-mortem about our tour as a bonus on Patreon. So that reminds Reminds me, if you're looking for more Ellen and me, join us on the Patreon. Every month you get three full ad-free bonus episodes. Right now we're covering a show called Evil Lives Here, which is really bananas. 
Yeah, it's really scary. But what we do is we take a poll of our online community to see what you want. And that's what won. But we've also done Snapped, <laughs> See No yes. Evil. And we have a list of others that you guys have given us. And we're just going to get through all of them. We're going to see every true crime TV show, I think. It's true. It's all very raunchy. It's very unrestricted over there. But it's also where you'll find our debrief about our Six City tour that we just finished, which is going to be fun. We're going to get real honest and tell you some real stories. Like, oh, I don't know about the time Ellen got me super stoned in Denver. Want to hear that story? Get thee to the Patreon. No, that was in Seattle. We got stoned in Seattle. Oh, you're, you're we weren't right. sleepless. We were stoned. <laughs> we need a new movie with you and me. Move over, Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. We'll just call it Homo Stoned in Seattle. Working title. <laughs> All right, you guys, season five, episode 12, it's called Final Exam, tells the story of the disappearance of Susie Lyle. Susie Lyle is a straight-A student who keeps to herself, only putting her inner thoughts on paper. I think it really was a therapeutic way of dealing with some of the problems that she was facing in her day-to-day social relationships. One night, the straight-laced college sophomore doesn't return numerous phone calls. I knew right away there was something wrong. Investigators begin to follow a winding trail. On the night in question, he says that he remembers her getting on the bus. Police scour the community. The Nike man did kind of increase our hopes. And a grieving family makes it their singular mission to find their missing daughter. It's something that you never think is going to happen to you as a family. Where is she? Where is she? You said I could call her Susie. They call her Susie in the app, but you're real insistent that we go with the full name Suzanne. No, call her Susie. They call her Susie in the episode. I just did a ton of side research because I'm a crazy person, and they seem to call her Suzanne in all the side research that I've done. So it starts in September 1998. We're with 19-year-old Susie. She's taking stock of her new dorm room. She's just recently moved to a new college. She's decorated the wall with her favorite tie-dye sheet, which is just so college. (laughs) It is so college. We used to put tapestries on our wall and those, remember those Ansel Adams pictures that were super popular? Yes. We used to all put those up in our dorms and don't forget a bunch of Christmas lights and boom, you got a dorm room. Listen, I used to decorate my dorm wall with all of the women I was obsessed with. So I would go through magazines and pull out pictures. You guys, if this is not a time capsule, I don't know what it is. It was like pictures of Paula Cole, Claire Danes, Jodie Foster, Kate Winslet. Wait, if you leave out the main focus of your dorm room, I'm going to be really upset. Oh, the Heathers poster? The Heathers poster, but you had a poster of River Phoenix in your room. Oh my God, I was obsessed with River Phoenix. I always had a poster of River Phoenix everywhere I went all my life. Dorm room? That's so nostalgic. It's Susie's sophomore year, and she's transferred here to the State University at Albany after having spent two semesters at another college that didn't challenge her academically. Susie actually said, I could teach the class. And she said, I want to learn the science of computers. And she felt that SUNY Albany would have a better computer science course. Go off, Susie. We love a brilliant queen. Hello. (laughs) We're told she's very interested in learning the science of computers. Now, remember, this is 1998. So, like, a computer science program was probably cutting fucking edge at the time. I mean, truly. She also had taken a part-time job at a computer software store at a nearby mall. And 
I loved working at the mall when I was in college. Do you remember the Copley Square Mall at Prudential? You worked at the Copley Mall? Oh, you worked at BB. I worked at BB. Yes, I did. Oh, my God. Clothes I could not afford with my tits out. Legs out, tits (laughs) out. Come shop at BB, y'all. I worked there all through college. You're a walking BB catalog. Is that store still around? It's. I think it's just online. And you better believe I still wear some of their dresses because they are like J-Lo sexy. Like, you know, tits, butt, legs. Yeah. I have a question that's going to sound sexual harassy, but I want to ask you anyway. Yeah. How do you have a frame like that where you're so tiny, but you've got these big knockers? How does that happen? Are we calling them knockers? Sure. I don't want to say, like, I want it to be appropriate. Um. Okay, so we'll go with knockers. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I guess the main question is why are you looking so yeah. hard? Stop it. <laughs> Susie has also taken on a part-time job at a computer software store in a nearby mall. She's living and breathing computers, which is exactly how she likes it. Between classes and work, she spends most of her free time with her boyfriend Richard, who shares Susie's love for all things high-tech. So we're told that Susie is living and breathing computers, which is exactly how she likes it. Look, I like a person who really dives into their studies and their work. You know what I mean? Okay. I felt like that was going somewhere. That wasn't going anywhere. And well, it's just like, it's not a world I would ever, I still barely know how to boot up my Windows computer. I don't even give me an Apple. I don't know what the hell that is. I just love that she loves computers so much. Don't get me started not to go back on all of our live show stuff, but every show but one, we had technical difficulty. And every time <laughs> Patrick would turn off the mic and go, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Oh my. And I was like, just reboot it. I'll tell yep, them a yep. story. <laughs> We also learned that she's got a boyfriend named Richard, and I wrote dot, 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 who it seems like we're not going to meet, question mark? Yeah, Richard's not so much as here. Yeah, where are you, girl? Where are you, Richard? But it says he shares her love for all things high tech, and I went, ugh. Uh So we learned that Susie was born and raised in Ballston Spa, New York. I didn't know that was a place. I would love to live after a place named after a spot where I could just fuck around and find out all day. I got to tell you, we when the pandemic first hit, we rented a house in Saratoga Springs, which is the neighboring town. I knew this town because I had seen it before. Ballston Spa? I just want that name. Where are you from? I'm from Ballston Spa. I I hear they got a great BB there. They got a great BB at the Ballston spa mall. So we meet Papa Doug and we learn that Susie wasn't so much as of a planned baby. Yes. You know, which happens. But Papa Doug was thrilled to bits and everyone else was just a little curious as to how <laughs> how this baby came about. I lovingly refer to those babies as whoopsie babies. Sure. <laughs> Is that okay? Sure. But like, do you have occasion to talk about these kinds of babies a lot? I do have a couple friends who have whoopsie babies. Like they have like. Whoopsie babies. Yeah. They do. They have like 20 year olds and then they're like, and there's our six year old. And you're like, Ma what? That, uh, that, a whoopsie baby. That math doesn't, doesn't. Okay. You guys, listen, get it on whenever you can. And then maybe a third baby will pop out. We saw, you and I saw the cutest baby at one of the 50 airports we were at this last week. And I remember I was like, I know Steve doesn't want any more kids. So I looked at you and I went, should we have a baby? Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine you and me co-parenting? Yeah. Map that out for the people for a second. (laughs) Daddy, why do you always hold your nose when you drop me off at mommy's? Because she lives in New Jersey, son. (laughs) 
Oh, we'd have a son. Oh, you're saying that your sperm would produce a son. Okay. A sire. I need an heir to my throne, Ellen. I need an heir to my podcasting throne. It's more like a toilet. Get it? Throne? Toilet joke? I don't know where that was going. It's fine. But Susie was a very welcome surprise. I think she was a special gift to us. And because she was so much uh, younger than her brother and sister, they became like a second set of parents. And uh, we all kind of doted over her. Susie and her older brother, Stephen, were especially close. Papa Doug explains them as best friends. And I went, aw, that's so weird. <laughs> I know. I also love that Steve was an entrepreneur because he had a like a newspaper route from the time he was like 13 years old. And he used to dress up baby Susie like in a cute little outfit and put her on the back of his bike and ride around. And the mom's like, girl, why are you doing that? He's like, mom, I make more tips when I do it this way. Smart guy. Honey, listen, you got to use what you got to get what you want before what you want is gone, <laughs> honey. Sam Harris sang that in a very, very popular musical with our bestie Lily Cooper's dad. Wait, was that the life? Yeah. You gotta use what you got. Can we have music, Jennifer? To get you what you want before what, what you got is gone. You gotta reach for that ring while you're on that ride. How long does that ride go on? I hate to have to correct you. It's a very good musical. It was not a very popular musical. Did I say popular? <laughs> yeah, it came and went pretty fast, but it's a great fucking show, you guys. Look it up. Jennifer, let's go. You gotta use what you got. Oh. <laughs> you gotta use what you got. Get what you want. Get what you want. Susie was sweet and she was kind and she was all the things, but she was also very introverted and loves computers. And her mom says, I guess we would have considered her a geek. And I just want to say, first of all, yeah. I love that word. I am reclaiming the word geek. I am reclaiming the word nerd. Nerd has a negative connotation, but it basically means that the root of it means that you know a lot about some stuff. I mean, I know a lot about yeah. nothing. I mean, maybe backtalk, but other than that, I, I hold that word nerd in high esteem. Be a nerd. Live your dreams. Same. You know I love a hot nerd. Another thing that we learned on tour, you guys, I'll, I'll let you in on this. Ellen suffers from hot privilege. I've asked Ellen to check her hot privilege at the door <laughs> over and over and over again on tour. She won't do it. What did I do wrong, sweetheart? Well, I was just thinking, you're reclaiming the word nerd, but you're like sexy librarian hot. Like, you couldn't be a nerd if you tried. You're like stripper hot. <laughs> so for you to reclaim the word geek is a little, it's slightly condescending and I wish you would check your hot privilege at the door, but you simply refuse to do it. Hey, are those are those books overdue? Let me let me see. Let me just check my card catalog. Ooh, you've been naughty. You kept those books way too long. Stop it! The vocal fry on the word way that you just did could make me vomit for days. In high school, Susie had a hard time fitting in with her classmates and seldom socialized outside of school. In classes, we sat together frequently. We would sit together in study halls. We'd sit together at lunch, things like that. But outside of school, we didn't. I don't really feel that she had any deep, close, best friend, girlfriend-type relationships in school. With few friends to confide in, Susie expressed herself through poetry. 
we are told, and I don't know why they do this in these episodes. We get it, you guys. They tell us 800 times. Susie did not have a lot of close friends in high school. And I'm like, I think you can leave that out. Susie was a very good, very smart person. We don't need to be told 40 times she didn't have a lot of close friends. I know. They really, really want to drive home the fact that she knew a lot of people, but none of them were really her friends. I was like, first of all, eat a dick. Second of all, (laughs) stop. Mm-hmm. Stop being so fucking rude to my friend Susie. I just wrote in huge letters, oh my God, you guys, we get it. And then we learned instead of friends, she expressed herself through poetry. Guys, leave her alone. I know. And then we learned, oh God, Susie turned to the internet to make friends, you guys. And I just wrote, oh no. I mean, hello, we've all turned to the internet for some friends at one time or another. They make it sound so horrible. But also in 19... 19- one of us is especially using the internet for new hot friends friends in hot cougar summer. Ellen is feeling very close to this subject matter in this episode. I've found a couple play pals this summer on the internet. (laughs) Yeah, you've turned to the internet for friends this summer. I would definitely, look, I didn't mean to offend you or your sensibilities. It's it's totally fine, okay? When you speak with your mouth and the jealousy Uh pours out of it, it's a really (laughs) ugly color on you. It's almost as ugly as that orange you're wearing. Thank you so much. I've already called you stripper hot. You can't reclaim a word that never described you, Ellen. (laughs) When When you do that, you are speaking from a place of privilege and you don't even see it. So, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so I think the internet is a perfectly acceptable place to meet anybody. But anyway, her mother was very. You don't think it's a perfectly acceptable place to meet anybody? You mean anybody under the age of 30? Wait, say more. <laughs> you guys have heard about hot cougar summer right you've mentioned it one or 12 times you guys (laughs) i'm just saying one person put in the facebook group a picture of a cougar because i said cougar summer was going to end on labor day and they put a picture of a cougar in the facebook group and said does anyone have eyes on ellen and is there an extension (laughs) after months of communicating online with other teenagers in the boston spa area Susie was asked to join a computer club that would meet monthly at a local coffee shop. I just didn't feel comfortable with her meeting people that, you know, were virtually strangers. To ease Mary's mind, Susie's father, Doug, accompanied Susie to her first meeting. They met the club's president, Richard Condon, a tall computer whiz. She's invited to join a computer group that meets monthly at a local coffee shop, and I said, oh God, this sounds like a cult. Everybody was very susceptible to cults on the internet in the late 90s. Yeah, we've got lots of documentaries about it. So Papa Doug was like, let me take you to your first meeting. And I was like, boy, Papa Doug. Sit there on the first date across the bar and drink a soda water and watch her. So then we find out Richard, obviously, who we've already mentioned was her boyfriend, was the president of this nerdy nerd computer online nerd club. To which I say, once again, Richard, where are you, girl? Yeah. Where are you, girl? You know that you were invited for an interview. Where are you, girl? Wait, but then Papa Duck goes on and says how well-spoken and intelligent and a bit older than Susie was. And then 10 seconds later, they tell us he was one year older. She was 16 and he was 17. (laughs) Like, in my mind, I had this, like, 38-year-old man in my head with, like, a 16-year-old girl. But anyway, they dated for three years. And they started dating when Susie was 16. And they describe it as dramatic and tumultuous to which I said 
and? I know. Those are Ellen's, uh, the only words in Ellen's Hinge bio. Yeah. So you know what I mean? Like, again, she feels very close to those words. It's not an insult. But, you know, we learned that, like, towards the end of these three years, Susie's not really that into it anymore. She keeps trying to break up with him, and he keeps begging her not to. And I'm like, who does that? Me with this podcast. (laughs) I'm like, I just don't want to do it anymore. And then you're like, blah! Yeah. Oh, um, you're so, so- cute. <laughs> you, guys, you guys, he just did 10 fast blinks in a row. It was like he short-circuited right in front of my eyes. <laughs> I'm kidding. I love you so much. I love you too. I've been away from you for 19 hours and I miss you. <laughs> Why are we doing a show in like fucking Phoenix right now? That's what we should be doing. I know. You guys, we decided we performed in a barn in Seattle. We're like, if you guys have 16 people, a flat of water and seven people, we're coming to your town. <laughs> we don't need much. Is there a gazebo in Indianapolis we can play? You guys, we played literally a barn with no alcohol at six at night. It was broad daylight. The windows were open. We were in the middle of a neighborhood that got noise complaints. Yeah. The neighbors came over and complained. We definitely need to have a debrief because too many funny things happen. <laughs> So they had broken up and gotten back together again over and over. And then remember how we told you she transferred to SUNY Albany because she said she wanted a little more of a challenge. But oddly enough, that was also closer to Richard's college campus. And it was like, did he pressure her to do it? Or did she want to be closer to him? We don't really know. So all of a sudden, it's March 3rd, 1998. It's been six months since she moved to SUNY Albany. And Susie's parents are getting ready to go visit their son, Stephen. Remember, he's like Susie's older brother slash best friend. And as they're walking out the door, their phone rings, and it's Richard, the boyfriend. And he's like, ah, hi, Susie never came back to campus last night. Does anybody know where she is? And Mama Mary immediately knows that something is wrong. I couldn't believe what he said. And I came, I knew right away there was something wrong. Doug and Mary Lyle can't fathom where Susie could be. She's always been a creature of habit and smart about letting people know her whereabouts. They feel overwhelmed and strangely paralyzed. We don't know what to do. We're in a state of shock. Also, you know, Mama Mary and Richard both, I guess at the time, said she was like a creature of habit. And also her neighbors used to say, like the Tara Grinstead of it all, they all used to Uh hear her keys clanking when she got home. (laughs) Remember? I took that note too and I was like, can we normalize simplifying our keychains? You know what I mean? Like if your keychain wakes up the entire house, can we reorganize our lives so we don't take all the keys all the time? You know what I mean? She's like a little bit of a janitor. She's like, yeah, these are my I keep them there. Yeah, just like 17. Remember when, like, a janitor at a school, if you ever, like, left your book and you're like, can I get into my class? And they have 27 keys to try. And they're like, this one, not that one, not that one. It's like, it's on a key ring and they're all skeleton keys. Like, that's what I imagine Susie's just like, yeah. I got these Every keys. time she's trying to get in. Oh, that's, ah. just, that's just Susie. Oh, Susie's, Susie's home. home. They're like, oh, we weren't all woken up at 2.30 in the morning super rudely by our roommates. Something must be wrong. Something's amiss. Doug decides to alert the University at Albany campus police. He gave us a call, and we started to look for her right away. We called uh, Residence Life and spoke with the RA, and he went to a room and couldn't locate her. Nothing in Susie's room appears to be out of place or missing. On the off chance that Susie might be on campus, but intentionally keeping a low profile, an officer goes to her next class to see if she shows up, but she never appears. 
So Papa Doug calls the campus police and we meet Chief Frank, head of security. Yes, my love. My only question here is why don't you call the real police? Why don't you do it in reverse? Like call the real police and let them call the campus police. But let's let the real police know that we've got a missing person situation. Well, I think it's called chain of command, my love. Okay, great. You have called enough police departments this year to have knowledge. I I guess I should just trust you. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, yeah, it's a chain of command. So, like, let's find out before we go zero to Patrick. Let's just calmly Uh see if maybe, maybe she turned up somewhere and lost her keys and got locked out. Let's not go crazy. I mean, this this case goes from zero to crazy, (laughs) but I'm just speaking and defending the family. So, Papa Doug calls the campus police. We meet Chief Frank, who is head of campus security, and they're wondering if, like, maybe if it was just a miscommunication because they have that, like, card system where they can, like, swipe in and out. which we did not have in college. Do you remember? No, I know. The high-tech security at the little building was uh, like a stoned guy (laughs) with a binder at the front desk crossing your fingers that they didn't let a murderer upstairs. It's really true. One time my sister, like you needed to show an ID to get in, but they didn't scan anything. My sister once forgot her ID and wanted to come up and like hang out with me in my room. We got one of those like moving carts, you know, they were like those big male sorting bins. Like Mr. Bundle? Yes, we put my sister in it, put a blanket on top of her and we're like, we're just going up to my room. Yeah, yeah. Nothing weird here about this mail cart at two o'clock in the morning with a person giggling on the inside. Nothing. Thank you, Emerson. Mr. Bundles. As the campus police talk to Susie's sweetmates, co-workers, and other students, they're able to piece together a timeline of her last known whereabouts. Garland Nelson, Susie's boss at the computer software store in the mall, remembers Susie being stressed out in the days leading up to Monday. This exam, that was a hardcore exam that she had to really kind of ace. Like I always tell them, yo, go blow it up. <laughs> like, you know, say this, go handle it. So the cops start to piece together a timeline of like Susie's last known movements by talking to her sweetmates and her coworkers and her friends. And we know that she took a midterm on Monday morning and then boarded a city bus on campus to go to work where she had to be there at 4 p.m. Right. And we meet the manager of the computer software place, Garland, who's definitely the star of the show. Garland is the (laughs) downest bitch of them all. Hey, girl, hey. Yeah. Garland is like, listen, I know she was super stressed out about that midterm, but she took that midterm on Monday. I know she did great because she came in back as her normal self, back as Susie. And he said it felt like a weight had been lifted off of her, right? But did you see that Garland is coming to us from a recording studio? Garland used to be the manager of that computer tech store where Susie works. Now he's like in the fucking music business. Go off, Garland. Yeah, Garland has has an album on Spotify. Someone go find it. I'm convinced of it. And (laughs) I would love to see Garland in like the community theater production of a Aladdin as the genie, you know he'd be amazing. He's like, no, but actually, you've never had a friend like me. Right. (laughs) No, really. No, watch my episode of Disappear. You've never had a friend like me. I promise you. Garland, if you are not, if you are listening to this and you're not doing community theater, you need to, wherever you live right now, girl, you need to go audition. You would be a dream in anything. I would watch you in anything. You ain't never had a friend like me. (laughs) Monday night. Garland's shift ends before Susie's, so he's surprised when he shows up for work Tuesday and learns Susie is missing. But at first, he's not alarmed because she's been unaccounted for for less than 24 hours. I'm still thinking, yo, she's a college student, you know? She was usually on tap 
everyone always had access to her. Maybe she had a moment, you know? She's entitled to do whatever she wants. Garland wasn't super worried. Garland wasn't super worried and, quite frankly, was defending her a little bit. He's like, everyone right. back up <laughs> off my girl Susie. But then when, like, when Richard comes to the store and then the mom is calling looking for her, now Garland is worried. And I got to tell you, Garland being worried, like, if I'm missing, I want Garland on the case. Yeah. I feel like Garland would find me. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. Garland would be the one of them all to be like, don't look in the woods. Go to the gay bars. Yeah. <laughs> Where it's a musical Monday somewhere. I know it is. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's at like intermission of his show. He's like reapplying his eyeliner. He's like, I got this. I got this. <laughs> so we get this moment of Mama Mary at home and her wheels are spinning. She's trying to figure out, you know, what's going on and who she can call. Meanwhile, in the mail comes her birthday card. The timing of it all was just From so hard. Yeah, let me finish my sentence. So she opens... Okay. <laughs> yeah. You're telling them why it's weird without telling them the weird part. Well, I was getting to it. I was circling the airport and bringing it in for a landing. <laughs> All right. You know, work your magic, girl. You go work your magic. I'm so sorry that I interrupted you. Well, now I need to start over. <laughs> so Mama Mary is home and she gets a card, a birthday card in the mail, and it's from Susie. But basically, it's like in the past, right? Because she are What, baby? What I'm, are you laughing I'm at? I'm just saying, this is a very sad story. And Mama Mary is like totally freaked out and she should be. But I'm just proud of you for telling this story in the right order the second time. Yeah, and she basically is like, she dropped it in the mail and now they're missing. So, you know, her heart just breaks all over again. So they questioned the bus yeah. driver and the bus driver was like, yes, I've seen her on that bus. I know exactly who she is. He remembers her getting off and he for sure remembers she was not on the bus at the end of the line, but he's not sure what stop she got off of. But he does remember that she was on the bus on Monday night, so we know she left work. She was 100% on that bus, and we have another student that knew her, identified her also on the bus, and saw her get off the bus, but again, couldn't say exactly what stop it was, which makes yeah. me believe that SUNY Albany has a bunch of me's there, people who just don't pay attention <laughs> to anything. Do you ever feel like when you're on a bus late at night and somebody gets off, you need to fucking pay attention? Like, I think about these things where I'm like, red jacket in the blue backpack, got off at 23rd Street at 1108. I'm just going to remember that in case it's useful. Yeah, I do that now. I'm not kidding, actually. If I see, like, a drunk woman and I've seen them on the bus late at night, I will go up yeah. to them and be like, how far do you live from the bus stop? Like, it freaks yeah. me out because there are women who get on the bus, like, New York side, going Jersey side, and it's scary. Yeah. It really scares yeah. me. Down bitch code of honor. Just double check. Mary has an inspiration. She decides to call the bank to see if Susie's ATM card has been used. I knew she had about $120 in her ATM at that time. And the operator said, no, the card hasn't been used. I was sitting looking at the clock on the microwave oven, and it was about 10 minutes to 4. And the operator said, just a minute, let me check something. And she comes back and she said, that card was just used. So Mama Mary thinks to call Susie's bank to see if there's been any, like, transactions with her debit card. Now, no one has seen Lauren since 9 p.m. the night before, and the card was used in real time. And the bank lady tells the mom the pin was a direct hit, meaning yep. it wasn't somebody guessing. Yep. It was a direct hit on the first try, and they couldn't tell where the card was used for some clerical reason. But the bank lady says she's going to call back as soon as she knows. And I'm like, yeah, right. And then I'm like, oh, my God, she actually fucking does it. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it should be said, whoever used that ATM took $20. So does this mean that Susie is alive and did just need a break? Because $20, Mama Mary tells us 20 bucks is what Susie would take. Like when Susie takes money out of the ATM, it would be $20. That's what that person took. So it does kind of seem like maybe Susie is using the card. Again, it was a direct hit, first try with the PIN number. So like, maybe it is Susie. Right. So the lady calls back to tell them, okay, we know where this card was used. It was used at an ATM at a convenience store about three miles from campus. So like, Finally, they get the information as to, like, where. Right. And so then they go to that convenience store. They check with the clerk where the withdrawal had been made on that Tuesday. But no one recognizes Susie, nor do they recognize or remember anything that was weird. Which is interesting because it's like if Susie had been there, they probably would have, like, remembered her. So it seems like whoever used the debit card was not calling any attention to themselves. They weren't struggling with it, you know? Right. So now they call the New York State Police, finally. To your point, they called the big boy police and (laughs) I feel bad like our campus police real police I don't know I don't mean to disparage anybody but I feel like I just feel like the regular police have the systems and databases you know what I mean yeah or maybe the guns I don't know if campus I don't know I don't know what they have that's different Let's not give the campus police guns. Let's just not do that. Yeah, but I do know that when they're reenacting, they have those hats. You know those like yeah. sheriffy hats. Who gets the hat? Yes. Who gets to choose the cool fall-looking hat? Like when you're a cop, yeah. I'd want to be the yeah. cop with the cute hats. I'd be like, I want the wide brim ones. Like how? Do, who decides that? I don't know, but you, I, I can see the wheels turning in your head about applying for the police academy right now for the outfit. They're, because they're very different. I want the cute wide brim hats. Yes, I get it. On tour, you guys, Ellen brought two dresses for every city we went to. So she could do one dress for the meet and greet and a different dress for the actual show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And you wore the same two shirts for every single show. (laughs) So... When when you uh-huh. talk when you talk about the yin and the yang of it all, yeah. that's what we're talking about. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I just love that we've got a missing woman on our hands, and all you care about is the hot hat. Mm. Is it is it again? Are you unwilling to check your hot privilege? <laughs> is that what this is coming down to again? Yeah. You call somebody stripper hot one time, and then all of a sudden they don't have to care about the missing people anymore. <laughs> I guess that's just where we are, America. <laughs> So anyway, Richard, who isn't here, you know, Mama Mary says he helps a little bit with the searches, but she didn't see a lot of emotion in him. Now, a lot of times the families do kind of like pussyfoot around really calling people out, but I could smell where you were going with this, Mama Mary. I'm with you. So Richard says he was at home playing on his computer with his friend, Justin. Do you want to weigh in on his friend, (laughs) Justin, Patrick? Yeah. You know, look, I don't have a whole lot to say about this. Maybe Richard and Justin are more than friends. Who's to say? But I just like, they're playing video games all night. Justin knows so intimately Richard's gameplay that he was able to be like, well, there's no way it was anybody other than Richard because, and then a whole bunch of words about video games that I don't understand. Right. Now, I gotta say, without a lot of information or much of an explanation, I feel like they were like, yep, that story checks out. Yep. He was at home (laughs) playing video games. Oh, yeah. You were 
were you at the Lens Crafters because your mom stamped your time card? <laughs> yeah, he was at the Lens Crafters. His mom stamped the time card. Is the mom the manager? Yeah, the mom's the manager. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not him then. Like, don't you feel like they just really gave up on that avenue really, really fast? Yeah, I feel like Richard's a real viable suspect here. And I don't know why we're being, like, we are being treated as though because they were playing Minecraft together and Justin knows, I don't know anything about video games. So Justin just knows he was like, what no, Richard likes to do. I know his Minecraft moves. And they're like, good enough for me. <laughs> That's good enough for me. He did not do this crime. <laughs> no. He didn't do it. He A crime do was done, but I'll tell you who it wasn't. It wasn't Richard. You know why? Because he was no. playing an invisible game with a person called Justin, and that's good. That holds up in a court of law, it turns out. Thank you, everybody. Mary can't help but to fixate on the last moment she spent with her daughter. When we got closer to where Rich lived, she said, would you mind stopping at his house? It was the day before Valentine's Day, and it appeared Susie was dropping off a card for Richard. But Mary questions Susie's real motivation for the stop. I think at that point, she was seeing somebody else, but I don't think he knew about it. And who knows what, what was in that Valentine. Mom and Susie were driving to Grandma's house, and on the way, Susie says, can we stop at Richard's? I want to give him a Valentine. This is like the late 90s. She, like, made him a Valentine's Day card, and she wanted to, like, hand deliver it. Very sweet. Also, okay. it doesn't, ma- it doesn't yeah. matter if you love love or love relationships. Uh-huh. Valentine's not a real holiday, okay? Okay. <laughs> Oh, I forgot how damaged you are. No, do you know fact, (laughs) fact, fact? I have never, Uh ever, ever from day one ever celebrated Valentine's Day. I was like, pick a real holiday. Get me a present because no reason. Give me a no reason present. If you give me a no reason present, I am dropping my underwear faster than anything. A no reason present. Oh, my God. Uh, People listen to this with their children, Ellen. That's on them. Hi, Jane. Also, Jane's the one who wanted, wanted us to stop talking about sex. Jane, what's up, babe? I also, the next time you ask me why I haven't bought you anything lately, my only answer is going to be, because I want you to keep your underpants on, sis. Oh. I need those to stay on ya. You know what I mean? <laughs> I need them on. I need them on where I know where they are. Oh, you never know where they'll end up. Are those mine? Can I have those back? <laughs> but wait, Susie's mom drops a bomb on us, because she's like, I don't know what was in that Valentine that she wanted to hand deliver to Richard, because I knew that Susie was seeing somebody else at this point, so she She's like, who knows? Maybe it was a Dear John letter. I know. I was like, Mama Mary, like, I mean, we're fine to talk about this now. We're just among friends. That's an anti-down bitch move. Don't be talking about her business on ID. <laughs> Listen. No, but I mean, you know, we also, like, Christopher is very quick to point out the cops never found any evidence that she was dating anybody else. Yeah. But, you know, the mom is saying, like, maybe she broke up with Richard and Richard got jealous and did something to her. Like, I don't think that Richard has been thoroughly investigated here. Did you just hear my whole skit about the lens crafters or did you miss that? <laughs> I did. You just saw that whole no, three I act play it. I performed? Yeah. I did. Okay. <laughs> yes. No, I heard that. The state police zero in on the convenience store where Susie's ATM card was used. Investigators pull the surveillance footage and check the 30 minutes before and after the ATM transaction. But the security camera is located above the cash register and the ATM is not in view. Still, using credit card receipts, police are able to track down customers who are seen approaching the register. 
So they pull the surveillance from the convenience store, which was right above the ATM. And what's so fun about surveillance right above the ATM is that it wasn't pointed at the ATM. And I was like, oh, cool, babe. So you got it. What do you got it pointed back towards the mountain fucking goddamn dues in the back? What's it pointed at? Oh, we had this for the thing, but we had it pointed on another thing. But thank God, because the Taki potato chips are perfectly safe. <laughs> no, it's true. It's like, what is the point of having the security camera if you're not going to use it for anything helpful? You know what I mean? Yeah. So they comb all the comings and goings of all the people, and then they cross-reference them with credit cards. And there was only one person they could not track down. We'll talk about him in one second. They also dust the ATM for fingerprints. But like, how, I mean, really dusting the ATM for fingerprints? 700 people have touched that. Best of luck. Are you in like true crime 101, whatever. So like like you said, they tracked down all of the patrons who were in that convenience store that night, and they tell us none of them used Susie's ATM card. To which I said, the only way you would know that is because they told you that. You know what I mean? Who's the guy who's going to be like, oh my God, I totally used her ATM card and then I murdered her. The only vetting process for letting all these people go was them telling you they didn't use the missing girl's credit card? Yeah, they got, hey, hey, um, I know this sounds crazy. Real quick, um, I know you were at the convenience store. <laughs> Yeah. Did you by any chance kill anyone or take anyone? No, no. Is that a promise? Can you just say I promise? Yeah. Do okay. you- <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. I don't know. Yeah, you're so they welcome. Promised. It wasn't they him. Promise. Yeah. No, wasn't him. But there's one patron they cannot find. One of the customers who was in Stewart's around the time that her ATM card was used remember seeing a black male wearing a black hat with some type of symbol on it. We did not know if he was possibly involved with her abduction or maybe had used the ATM card or maybe was just possibly a witness to something. Eager to talk to the unidentified customer, they release a sketch to the public of the patron now being dubbed the Nike Man. So they make a sketch of this one man that was in the convenience store on or around the time of the ATM withdrawal. Now, he's a black man wearing a Nike hat, and they release— And he's the only one that they weren't able to track down. That's why they're putting a sketch out. They, right. They've seemingly found and spoke to everybody else but this guy. Right. So they put a sketch out to the public to see if anybody knows him. Now, <laughs> this kind of, like, creeps me out a bit for a lot of reasons. Now, they dubbed yeah. him the Nike man. Man, and yeah. they put this picture out. They're like, this is the one guy we can't find. Now, I mean, let's just talk about it. Let's put it out there. They're like, whoa, okay, so a black guy was in there around that time. Let's fucking plaster his innocent until proven guilty face all over this here town. And let's see if we can find the black guy that was there. Like, that all yeah. seems really, really crazy to me. And we're going to find out later that they put his image on, like, billboards. Yeah. And, like, in advertisements in the newspaper. Like, and guess what, you guys? He's not the guy. And we'll get to that in a minute. But, like, they, like, put this man's face on billboards and in the newspaper trying to, quote, find him. And he's not the guy. Like, nary an apology either. And, mind you, he has done nothing other than be unidentified. That's the right. only thing he's done. He was in the store on or around the time of the ATM withdrawal. And he was just the only one they couldn't track down. I was like, y you guys, your racism is showing. Just right there. Right clear <laughs> on your face. Three weeks into the investigation, 
Camp turns his attention to someone he believes may know critical information about Susie. Her former roommate had abruptly left school right after the first semester and had moved to Florida, and we had never been able to interview her. Camp flies down to Florida to talk to Susie's former roommate. The girl's family tells him she now lives with her grandmother in Texas. Convinced that this young lady could hold a clue to why Susie disappeared, Camp flies to Texas to interview her. Now we learn that several weeks after the disappearance, the cops tracked down Susie's college roommate. I have 10 million things I, I want to talk about this. You go and then let me just, I'm going to go crazy and then you can come, I'll come back to reality. To me, this is the quintessential a meeting that could have been an email. Cops never do this. They fly to Florida to find this woman. When they get to Florida, her family's like, oh no, she's not here anymore. They then fly to Texas where they find her. They tell her nothing useful and they rule her out as a suspect. And I was like, first of all, could this have been a phone call? Could you just have called? I was like, is this 1998 or 1908? Bro, why are you flying there? Is your phone broken? Is the internet down where you work? Did you not have a carrier fucking pigeon? He was like, you know what? I need to talk to that girl. I'm going to fly down there. This needs this this needs a face-to-face. This I need a face-to-face. I need a face-to-face. And they're like, can you fax her? Can I mean, I know FaceTime wasn't a thing. Like, I can think of seven different solutions other than taking a cab to a plane, going through the security, going to checkout, getting yeah. on a plane, taking another cab, finding the person, only to do it all, go back to Texas, and then find out the bitch doesn't know anything. Can't you also have gotten a hard address for her before you left? Like, couldn't we have at least cut Florida out of the equation? I mean, can we always cut Florida out of the equation? Whenever Florida's in the equation, can we circumvent? Florida at all times. <laughs> they need some quiet time in the corner to figure their own shit yeah. out. Quite frankly, I could do without Texas at this point either. You two can both have a little time out in the goddamn corner and you can come back to the group when you feel like you've changed your ways and you can act right. Okay, Florida and Texas? I love you, Florida and Texas. Most of our listeners are in Florida and Texas. I don't know I what y'all are doing. I, I just think it's so funny that the guy was like sitting in a meeting and he's like, like, uh-huh, so we haven't heard from our old roommate. Give me that roommate! Someone give me that roommate! <laughs> he comes back to the interview with, like, mouse ears. He's like, what? <laughs> what? It's magical, that kingdom. I love that kingdom. <laughs> so now it's May 1998. It's two months after Susie vanished, and two students are walking through the campus parking lot at SUNY Albany, and they find Susie's work ID. And everyone freaks out. Like, you know, the dad is saying, how is this possible? How did nobody see this before? That campus has been thoroughly scoured by me and the cops. And also, we learned that the ID was found close to the bus stop where Susie would have gotten off, but in the opposite direction that she would have walked to get back to her dorm. So people are like, did somebody call to her? Did she? Did somebody lure her in the other direction? But to me, I'm like, that was planted, right? Like, whoever took her went back and put that there. If you just watched the episode, you would think that. But I like to do some side research. I know you like to do minimal effort in anything that you do, yeah. including friendships. Yeah. But no, yeah. so <laughs> let me tell you what I found on a side goop. So a storm had just hit, and there was a bunch of snow in that parking lot. And where they actually, it makes it sound like they just 
happened upon the ID, like in the parking lot, that's actually not where it was found. It was actually found on the side by the bushes. So another oh. solution might have been when the snow plows came, it might have like moved stuff around and plowed it off to the side. So though you are right, it wasn't found in any direction. Like let's say she was walking somewhere and then had a yeah. scuffle and something happened. It could have gotten plowed somewhere else because it was in a parking lot that had just had a snow plow come through it. Oh my God, that is like really valuable information. When did you get good at this job? Yeah, t- today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stripper hot, though. <laughs> Stripper hot. I love you for that. I mean, honestly, like, really, I if, I if I had the balls, I would do it. Meanwhile, Susie's parents question whether Susie's boyfriend, Richard, could be involved. There is no evidence linking him to her disappearance. But when the couple was dating, Susie's mother had her reservations about the young man's behavior. He was very possessive and very jealous of her wanting to talk to anybody else. So they decide to go back to boyfriend Richard. They don't really have any evidence. They just don't really like the guy, which I'm totally on board with. I love an emotional decision. I just, I don't get a good vibe from you. I'm going to think you're guilty. And I'm fine with that, honestly. And also the mom, the mom tells us a story about like waking up in the middle of the night and hearing like the CD-ROM drive on Susie's computer, like opening and closing and realizing that Richard was monitoring her computer remotely? Yeah, I don't know if that's real. I do think that he would have the capability to remotely monitor her computer, but to open and close the CD-ROM, I don't know. I I know. I don't know enough about it, but the idea was that he was far more possessive than anyone had really talked about, and if you really do a Reddit dive on this case, we'll get to why this case is actually so popular and so controversial towards the end, but a lot of people say that Richard's personality was really glossed over in this episode that Mama Mary was kind of the only one that had the balls to say how controlling and manipulative that he was but a lot of people came forward during this time and was like no he's a fucking creep he's a creepy creep that is so interesting too because we learn here that he lawyers up like he like yep. the police want to talk to him again he lawyers up he's the, his lawyer denies access to him for any more questioning yeah and he like he says he's has nothing to do with it and like then we never hear from Richard again. So they they go on this little side tangent and I talked about this with you the other day. They start to investigate another University of Albany student that went missing by the name of Karen Wilson and Papa Doug was like, I remember this story from the news but this was back in 1985 and they were talking about something that happened to her that night and they were wondering if there was any connection. I was like, babe, that was 13 years ago and I get it. You want to yeah. leave no stone unturned turned but there's no link there's no link it's just two really tragic stories that happen to occur at the same location about 13 years apart there's really no link they go and they talk about it for like 10 minutes and nothing comes and it's also like can we also please get justice for karen wilson like she deserves her own episode obviously yeah but yeah they dig and dig and there's there's no connection nearly a year after Susie's disappearance prominent billboards and continued news coverage provoke a solid lead in the case Investigators have finally found the elusive Nike man, the unidentified customer at the convenience store, who police say could have used Susie's ATM card. We had numerous, many, many, many calls. Two or three people identified one particular subject who we located and admitted to us that he was the Nike man. 
we're back to February 1999. It's been a full year. And this is where we learn about the billboards and the advertising for, like, with Nike Man's face. And they find the guy... And I get the sense that he knew they were looking for him, but, like, didn't turn himself in because he's probably fucking terrified. Right. Like, you know, according to the billboards in the newspapers, they think he's the fucking guy. But they, you know, they interview him at length. You know that means, like, 13 hours of no water Absolutely. and no bathroom breaks. I mean, like, I'm sure it was miserable for this man for those 13. He was probably terrified the whole time. And they eventually say there's no connection. And I'm like, did you want to publicly apologize yeah. for putting his face on billboards and newspapers? Jesus. Yeah, he was like, hey, um, I saw you put me on fucking blast all over. <laughs> Can I please tell you I was there, but I didn't do anything wrong? And then congratulations, Albany. You were just racially profiling. Yay. Over the coming years, the Lyles stay in close contact with Investigator Camp. But it's not until 2005, seven years after Susie vanishes, that police receive their next substantial lead a man has been arrested for the attempted abduction of a young female. The high school's location, Saratoga Springs, sets off alarms for Doug Lyle. Could there possibly be a connection to his daughter's disappearance? It's October 2005. It's been seven years since Susie vanished. And a man is arrested in a nearby town for trying to abduct a young girl when she's leaving track practice at the high school. And, you know, it's 10 minutes from where Susie's family lives. It's very close to SUNY Albany. And they're trying to link that case, too. And again, there's no real connection made. Right. And the guy who committed the attempted kidnapping was named John Reagan. And he actually was arrested and did a whole bunch of shit. But he won't talk anything about Susie. He's not linked to her disappearance. So this family is actually really amazing. They opened a center for hope. This family is incredible and they continue to help families of missing people and they help pass laws and legislation regarding missing people. In 2003, they helped pass Suzanne's law, which was enacted as a part of the Protect Act of 2003 and it eliminated the waiting period for law enforcement to launch an investigation when a person between the ages of 18 and 20 one goes missing. So these people continue to fight and they continue to do a ton of good. There is still an active $25,000 reward that is offered by her family for any information that would help resolve this case. So if you have any information regarding the disappearance of Suzanne Lyle, please contact the State University of Albany Police Department at 518-442-3131. So there is, if you know anything about this case or if you take a deep dive like I do, there is a very, very interesting connection of Suzanne Lyle. This all happened about three months before Israel Keys went to the army. So Israel Keys, you guys, if you know, like Israel Keys was that very prolific serial killer who died by suicide in prison before revealing all of who he murdered. He was super secretive. He would plan his murders like years in advance, make them super random so that they could never be connected to him. He was in parts of the country where we don't even know. They say that he has a body count of unidentified victims that could be in the 10s to the 20s. So yeah, I'm very excited to hear what you learned about this. The main thing, if you were to Google these two people's name, is that they believe the true crime world has linked possibly this murder to be Israel Key's first victim. Now, there's a couple things that I want to talk about, and then I'm going to leave you to do your dive all by yourself. 
Israel Key's computer showed that he searched the name Suzanne Lyle. And it is interesting because Israel Keys had a home in upstate New York in the town of Constable. He had about 10 acres up there and it's about three hours away from Albany. Now, another thing. Now, when I mentioned this to Patrick, I said, I want to tell you one thing. It's linked to Israel Keys. And what the first thing I said, I said, remember, they withdrew money. And then the first thing you said yeah. was... Israel Keys had done that. So... You remember, he withdrew that $20 using her ATM card. He Israel Keys did that to other victims. He would make his victims, before he killed them, give him their PIN number so he could use their ATM and get it right on the first try. So that tracks here. There is so much linking this to. We could literally make another podcast. True Crime Bullshit has a great podcast. One of the episodes is called Suzy. If you want to take more of a dive, they have a great podcast on it. But when you read it, y'all, it really, really makes sense and it tracks. I think creepy boyfriend Richard is super creepy, but like there are so many things that put Israel Keys in that place and could possibly be her first victim. So if you want to take a dive, go cave diving with me, friends. It's a journey. <laughs> Say something funny. Do you think I'm stripper hot? Honey, there's a stripper lid for every stripper pot. <laughs> If you want more Ellen and me, join us on our Patreon. We call it the Drama Club. Every month you get three full ad-free bonus episodes. We're going to do a full debrief on our tour. We're going to tell you all the behind-the-scenes shit. We're going to tell you about the time Ellen got me fucking stoned out of my mind in Seattle. <laughs> um, and how we laughed for 20 hours. So much to tell you. Also, join our Facebook group. It's the Obsessed with Disappeared podcast discussion group. Follow us on Instagram, the Disappeared pod. What else, girl? You can also follow me on TikTok. I do stupid things there. And we just love hearing from you and connecting. And thank you to everyone who puts out stuff on their Instagram to bring more people to us. And if you feel like leaving us a five-star review on iTunes and telling us why you love us, we wouldn't be mad at you. No, we're not mad at you at all. In fact, we love you. We, we love, love you. you so much. We love you. All right. <laughs> bye. All right, bye. Can somebody get on Priceline and find me the best deal? I'm going to go to Florida, then Texas. I've got no choice. I want no layovers. I've got no choices. I've got to fly down to Florida. (laughs) So anyway, Susie makes uh, online friends, and she joins like a computer group that meets monthly at a local coffee. Well, I'm giving it back to Jennifer in case she she needs it again. Okay, Jennifer, but just know I already said that. Yeah, so now we get this really crazy thing that happens. Mama Mary thinks to call Susie's bank to see if there's been any action on her. To see if there's action? Is that what you say? Uh, like tran- tran- say any transactions? You could say action, yeah. Yeah. Do you think I'm stripper hot? You are. Wait, let me think of something funny. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, you're, yeah. Uh, <laughs> what? Uh... 